Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. babies are born, they're developing, processing everything they see and hear, trying to understand the world. A child starts to learn as soon as it is born. Those big wide eyes see more than we realise. Right from the start, children reach out for knowledge of the large unfamiliar world in which they'll have to find their place. Naturally, parents want to help them down that path. The tricky thing is knowing what to do. Oh, definitely reading. If you can do lots of reading, it's fantastic. He loves running around the house, running around in the car, and I'll chase him around. We'll play dinosaurs, so it's kind of physical coordination things. I played a ton of classical music, to be honest, when the kids were little. I believe it helps sort of make neurons connect. I don't know the exact science of it, but I think music is good. And then it's a case of knowing how much is too much, or too little, for that matter. Too little stimulation and the brain and body doesn't get exposed to experiences that build those important neuronal pathways that lead to learning. But on the other side, too much stimulation and the child can get overwhelmed and tired and without downtime and sleep, the learning that they're doing doesn't get consolidated. So here's Catherine Gallagher, a clinical psychologist, who points out that if life is always busy for children, they don't learn how to cope when it's not. Too much stimulation means that children don't learn to tolerate being still and not being entertained. So that can come with a whole lot of other complications. So there is a balance to be found, and the way each family works it out depends on a few factors, but obviously, not surprisingly, on what you like as parents. I'm outside in the garden a lot, so I'll say, come run outside. Our boys are very physical. We've got a welder for Christmas. Actually, we'd call it a bit of a power switch in the house when we first started using it. But the 12-year-old made a bike. He welded a frame together and he drives around on it. I guess I'm very pro getting children outdoors and into nature and just climbing and jumping. One of the kids is very interested in gardening and I like gardening. So I think to do things that you like and get the kids involved with it. And then there are other factors like your cultural background, your budget and how much time you have available. And that's okay because I think one of the messages that parents need to get is that we're aiming to be good enough. We're not aiming to be perfect and get this right and I'm doing that in inverted commas. Because parents can stress about how to maximise their child's development and you know remember anxiety and parenting go hand in hand so why would this be any different? And if you're already feeling anxious about your child's development, then brace yourself because this next idea might prove challenging. A really important thing for people to hear, and it might be quite hard for people to hear, is that we can't actually make them smarter. So we're born with certain raw material. In pressure or hot housing, children can give the impression that this can be altered, um, but in reality it kind of can't. And she says most children will hit a ceiling in certain areas. So, you know, when kids are around seven or eight, if they're given opportunities to do things and experience things, they will reach a certain level of fundamental underlying IQ and pretty much tend to stay there for life. Now, how that plays out, you know, the things they do, all of those things can, of course, be developed and encouraged. But that idea that if the underlying IQ or learning is average, 
you're not going to be able to, through putting lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of effort and resource in, suddenly make them a brain surgeon. Now, I'm not trying to be provocative. I suppose I'm just trying to say, how do we be realistic? And part of the parent's role might be to prepare their child for the fact that not everything's going to come easily. It's about growing that whole child to, to know that, that there are going to be things that they're great at and there are going to be things that they're pretty crap at. And a good healthy self-esteem is about having that awareness. And getting your head around what you're good at, or maybe not so good at, is part of the learning process. So to be gutted about failing, because I think that failing can hurt. And again, it's an emotion that I think a lot of parents are trying to protect their kids from, whereas in actual fact, it's a pretty important learning experience. So what do I do with that experience of failure? Do I pick it up and run with it and go, no, I want to try harder? Or do I go, yeah, I'm going to put that down to experience and realise that being a ballet dancer is just not my thing. We now know that the child grows and learns by his own effort and his own real experience. It's not what we do to children that educates them, but what we enable them to do for themselves, to see and feel and understand for themselves. There are some who are naturally gifted at sporting activities or learning, and there are some who are just hard workers. And they may well meet the same outcome, but they're going to take different paths to get there. And again, I'm not saying to parents, step away and let the child just you know, develop themselves. They need support, but they actually need you to see them and see what they're capable of and allow them to find their own place. And different activities and educational techniques may not make that much difference when it comes to who your child fundamentally is. When parents get the message that you should by listening to baby Mozart in the womb and by you know eating these certain things and exposing them to these activities suddenly create little mini geniuses in some cases that's going to work because that's actually what this child was potentially going to be with those exp that exposure anyway. But if you do all this stuff and you've still got this little average kid, then that's not a failure. It's not meaning that the child's a failure or you're a failure. It just means that this was actually what this kid was going to be and you have made them the best average and given them lots of experiences. But that's actually not a negative thing. In fact, if we look at the normal curve of development... Do you know what? Some people are high average, some people are amazing. Most of us are average, some of us are low average, and some of us really struggle. That's actually how it works. And we'd all like to be high average, but we're not. So how do we kind of make peace with and maximise where we are? And that brings us to the fact that sometimes we might really want our child to play hockey or to take up the oboe, and for some unaccountable reason they don't want to because they're individuals and they know what they like. We push them into surfing because we love surfing and the oldest is incredibly competitive and she's really good now. The middle one just likes to look pretty and walk down the beach with a surfboard and the little one is crazy. She'll just go on the biggest wave possible. You'll be out and about. You might have be planning to go for a walk on the beach and instead of walking on the beach, they find a dead carcass of a fish and they're just infatuated with it. I love watching that. I just love watching their minds work. He wants to run outside. He wants me to play alongside him. So he wants to bond through activity rather than through conversing. A nine-year-old loves to sew. So he made Christmas stockings last year. We got an old sewing machine from the op shop that he can use and he had a go. 
Catherine Gallagher says take note of these preferences but also urge them towards new experiences and keep an eye on what they're avoiding because these could be activities they need a bit more help with. I've got one son who, you know, I think the first thing he grabbed hold of potentially, if he could have, would have been a ball. My other son didn't go towards them at all and what we worked out was he actually had some coordination challenges around that. So that was something for us to be aware of. And another thing we may not realise about preferences is that we are, in fact, at least until the teenage years, our child's toy of choice. They want to spend time with us, and so while we're at it, we can model some social skills. How do I turn take? How do I deal with the fact that I wasn't at all interested in this toy, but then you look interested in that toy, so suddenly I really want that toy? How do I deal with the fact that you're better at this toy than I am? You know, so there's a lot of other layers to this, which can sound complicated, but in fact they're part of the, I suppose, the rich jigsaw of social development and cognitive development. Through play, children discover, become aware of what goes on around them. We can so easily lead them through days filled with new, exciting thoughts and ideas. And then there's just good old-fashioned play. I had one child who didn't like to get his hands dirty. He'd always sort of go, yuck, yuck. So I thought, oh, I have to take him to play centre so he can make a mess. People have this real, I guess, bit of an anti around the word play. They don't see that as children learning. But when children are playing, they're actually developing their brain to be able to cope later on in life. So there are things that we can do to help them. There are things they can do to help themselves. And then there's nature. And some parents might actually take heart from the thought that some of this stuff may be out of their hands. There's no right way of doing this. And I think as parents we can stress and think, what is the right way? And if I'm not doing it the right way, then I'm actually getting in the way of my child being an astronaut. You know, so, so I'm responsible. And I suppose the thing I want to say is that, yes, as a parent, you are hugely influential. But actually nature has something to say about this too. So no matter what they end up writing in their passport as a job description, one thing most parents would want their children to be is happy and comfortable in their skin. If you're looking at your child and going, oh gosh, I wish they were smarter, more agile, a bit more competitive, or this or that, then what we're failing to see is what we've actually got. And if we think about self-esteem development, self-esteem is not actually being smarter, more agile, you know, prettier. Self-esteem is actually accepting who we are and looking into the eyes of our parents and saying that we are acceptable. And that's us for today and for this series of Are We There Yet? This podcast is produced and presented by me, Katie Gossett, with musical assistance from Adam McCauley. Tim Watkin is our executive producer and the great historical audio comes courtesy of Na Taonga Sound and Vision and Archives New Zealand. If you like the show, you can go to iTunes and review us there and have a listen to some other great RNZ podcasts like Pants on Fire, a look at the way telling lies impacts on all of us.